and that's the beauty about tennis because you just move on. You, you can't dwell too much on one point. You've got to be in the present. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. We are just about nearing the end of the Bali series, which is so sad for me to say because there are so many other people I wish I had the chance to interview while I was there. And if I could just keep talking about Bali, that would be fun. Obviously, (laughs) it was going to come to an end at one point, but we're not there yet. We have one more after this week's episode, and that is a great transition into introducing this week's guest, Joe Siriani. Joe is a former professional tennis player from Melbourne, Australia. He began playing professionally in 1996, where he's competed in the Australian Open on five separate occasions, and at the height of his career, he achieved the singles world rank number 138. Joe retired from the sport in 2011, and over the past 10 years, he's been coaching young professional tennis players all across the globe. In this episode, we talk about what it's like to live life as a professional and ex-professional tennis player, and what the transition has looked like from playing and competing to coaching, and how Joe has maintained his love for the sport. Joe talks about so many interesting things in this episode, so I'm really excited for you all to hear what he has to say. I don't want to give too much away, so without further ado, let's get into the episode, but before we jump right in, I have a brief message from my sponsor, Anchor. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Hello, Stella. Thanks for inviting me. We're here today to talk about your career as a professional tennis player based in Australia and the incredible experiences you've had traveling across the world, playing, competing, and now as an ex-retired tennis player, coaching. I've been privileged to play tennis for all my life uh, from a young age and um, being playing tournaments around the globe and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And now coaching, I didn't expect to be coaching, but uh, I just fell into it. You know, I retired in, in 2011, I think it was. And um, a couple of my doubles uh, teammates just asked me to um, to help them out and travel the world and, and, and coach them. So that's how I fell into it. <laughs> and, and here I am in Bali at the moment. Not a bad place to be stuck in, but... Um, Even but during nice. lockdown. Yeah, during lockdown, it's, it's nice. But yeah, look, with just like everything, it has its ups and downs. And um, But I mean, I, I really enjoy it. I love it. Uh, I'm still lucky to be um, involved with tennis. Um, it started out as a hobby and um, turned into a job, but I don't see it as a job. And uh, yeah, healthy lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, let's talk more about that. So Mm. when you first started playing, you must have been really young, right? As a kid, just kind of... I was, yeah. I was three years old. So (laughs) I I started because... I started tennis because of my uh, brothers and sisters. And um, they were getting coached every Sunday. I would tag along with my dad, picking up all the tennis balls and always nagging him, you know, let me play, let me play. And he would just like brush me off. 
and, and just say, you know, you're too young. Eventually, I think I, I wore him down and, and the coach at the time, he just goes, okay, I've had enough of this. Here's my racket. And back then, it was a full-size wooden racket. No such thing as small kids-size <laughs> rackets. And yeah, he, he threw it into my hand and, and he just goes, you know, have you been playing? And I goes, no, nah, just in the backyard, you know, up and down with a stick or another old tennis racket that we had at home. Uh, hitting the tennis ball, you know, up against the wall. And he just goes, okay, you have to continue because you're actually better than your brothers and sisters. So that's how it started, you know, started the journey, I guess. I played other sports as well. So, uh, you know, the other, when I was 10 years old, I had to decide. So my dad just goes, you know, focus on one sport more. And at the time, it was uh, football or soccer and um, tennis. So I chose tennis. What drew you specifically to tennis? I think it was the individual um, side of things, like uh, solo sport and being out there alone and trying to figure out everything alone. And I guess that's why I, I grew up quite fast as well. So I was 15 and um, I was lucky enough to go overseas uh, alone with two other friends and play uh, in Italy uh, for junior tournaments. I was We were all selected to go on a paid trip. So... At 15, we're alone and we, we missed the first tournament because of uh, jet lag. <laughs> and the tournament people and committee, they were calling our hotel room. We, we didn't hear it. And uh, we were just we You're were just passed out. out. We were passed out <laughs> in our boxer shorts and all this kind of stuff. Like, oh, what? And um, yeah, we, we completely missed the tournament. So yeah, we got in trouble. But um, anyway, we had a laugh about it afterwards but at least we played the remainder of the the three tournaments and um but that was a great experience because at that time we had the number one uh junior at uh, that was playing the tournaments and um you know vince badia he was a top player from from the states marcello rios was there he was the number one chilean player in the world who became number one men's player uh eventually so just to meet and see these guys at the same tournaments it was just an experience and, and you were playing amongst these we were playing, people like, as well we were, yeah we we're in the qualifying but those two guys um because they had a, a you know they were one and two in the world they were in the uh, main draw you know i lost at that time last round qualies but i was playing and being uh, exposed to these guys that are playing all the time i had no idea they didn't know me i didn't know them and you know we still had the same tool in our hand and we were competing really well i mean i, I was losing close matches so I walked away like I was, I was quite happy bringing that back to, to Australia. It was always at the back of my mind just like how good these guys are like compared to the Australians. And I always and I still do believe that tennis is Europe. Uh, you, you know, if you, if you live in Europe, you've got so many things to fall back on uh, tennis wise, like club matches, you've got prize money tournaments, you've got professional tournaments. Um, there's just it, and it's so close as well. Like you can drive, you can fly, or take a train. So um, everything's so close over there, right? And there's so many tournaments that you can play. Yeah. So many events, and that's why there's so many players. That yeah. makes sense. I never really mm. thought of it that way, but now I can I can definitely see that. And mm. also, when you were in Italy competing, you were only 15. Yeah, that's not an average 15 year olds experience no. how did you maintain feeling calm under immense pressure i can imagine did you understand exactly what you were doing the fact that you were at this professional level at such a young age playing against these really 
high level athletes? Probably not at uh, that age. I, you know, like I said, it was just like we're thrown into the pool and off you go, compete. It was a bit like that in Australia as well. So we were all we confident enough and it probably worked in our favour. Coming from Australia, we're sort of laid back in a way. So yeah, just playing these tournaments and competing against these top uh, junior players from around the world, it didn't really phase us. We sort of, yes, we knew who some were, uh, like I said, Vince Badier and um, Marcelo Rios and, and how they played. But at the same time, it's like, well, we've still got the same, like I said, like the same tool in our hand. Mm-hmm. Let's try to compete. But like, you know, I brought so much back back home with me in, in how professional they were and what I need to do and work on to be at that level. You could either see it as something that's very motivating, mm. using those people as an example of what professionalism looks like and how you can get better and grow exactly. in your career and in your performance, or you could let it get to your head and think that you're all that, you know, as a teenager, as a teenager. competing and being this, you know, really high achieving athlete. So I think it's great that you saw it more of an opportunity to just get better. To get better, yeah, exactly. And improve. Mm-hmm. You're, you're spot on. And so yeah. was that kind of what kept you going? Just that drive to keep getting better and to keep perfecting your your own performance yeah yeah it did um always thinking back to that and it was good I'm, I'm so so happy and glad that my parents let me go when I was 15 and and, and experienced that just to see from a young age going overseas and and you know it's not you're not just in this bubble in in Melbourne uh or Australia like I was able to see from a young age what it's like outside of Australia and yeah it was amazing and it, and it did it improved me as a person and as an athlete because not only are you opening your perspective to the entire world but specifically in the tennis world like you're really seeing what the sport looks like outside yeah. of where you learned it originally exactly and when you were at the height of your career competing training you know you made it to the Australian Open a few times and yeah, you're back yeah. in your day what did your routine look like it was a nine to five job <laughs> so you know I'd wake up really early uh, I'd go to the gym I'd warm up and then I'd, I'd hit the tennis court for at least two two and a half hours in the morning so it was basically always say 10 to 12 on the tennis court you'd have lunch and then two to four uh, in the afternoon back on the tennis court and then you'd do gym so you're practicing about almost five hours a day so on the on, court. On court for about, say, five hours, yeah. Wow, so and then the gym is about two hours, like strength say, training? Yeah, strength training. Um, then you'll have, yeah, uh, agility, speed, and all that kind of stuff. A physical trainer would have us in the pool. It was just all different kinds of things as well. Like sometimes we even played football, you know, like... Um, like cross training. Cross training. Right. And without even knowing it, you're doing something. So from a young, young age, you know... That's what coaches do. They sort of, they pretend or, you know, as a teenager or a kid, you don't really, if you see it on paper or, or the coach will just go, okay, we're doing this, this and that. And you just go, oh, like this is like shrug your shoulders. Oh, not, not again. But if we did some fun activities, you wouldn't even think that was training. So so you're kind of, it's like a psychological, psychological trick. <laughs> yeah, it is. You're tricking yeah, you're the tricking. the. the student the player yeah, yeah, without to, even knowing it <laughs> to make it feel like it's actually fun it's rather fun. than like oh god we have yeah, to do this type do of workout this, yeah. today so you know and that's what I actually um, do with my <laughs> clients sometimes too so with my kids so without even them knowing 
uh, they're actually training and doing something. And you were training your body so intensely. It's such a rigorous sport and be in, to be in the gym and to also be on the courts really trying to perfect your technique and actually just playing the sport. It's a lot of physical activity. So Thanks. you're definitely intensely training your body, but how do you also work to train your mind as a player, like to embrace the physical discomfort and also just learn how to push through that? I guess it came in a way like natural to me. Like I knew that this is what I wanted to do. So you got to work hard, push through it, you know, like, and I was lucky because my body, I looked after my body and I didn't have many injuries. So, but I also listened to my body. If, if like I was having some aches and pains, I wouldn't push through it. I just, I'd stop. I'd tell my trainer, I was like, okay, like that's enough for today. Let's see how I uh, pull up and recover and we'll do it the next day and stuff. So, and also I had um, mental coaches for my matches and stuff. So I worked with a few people, had some routines on court, uh, breathing routines, equipment routines that I used to do and, and try to focus like in a crowd. Like, you know, it is, it's overwhelming sometimes. Yeah, going you have the audience the watching audience. you. <laughs> so, you know, the first time I played the Australian Open, you know, I was in a packed stadium and you freeze you actually freeze and when that happens your body just like your feet don't move you're not thinking and nothing you're just frozen so you have to wake up a bit you know like and you either shout something out just to wake you up or you know my routines was just focus on the ball on the racket the strings and bounce on your feet so, it's very sensory yeah so that's it so that's how i blocked everything out but I could still hear my friend's voice uh, in the stands. I knew where everyone was, like my family and my friends, because I knew their voice. So if they were cheering me on or whatever they would say, I could actually hear their comments. But it was quite funny. It was so like, like very selective hearing. Selective hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I that, knew every- was that helpful yeah, for it's you? It's helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's helpful. But I knew where everyone was. So before stepping in and commencing the match, I would do a search, but I, you know, They'd either be behind me or in front of me from where I was sitting uh, for the change of ends. But, it's like um, you were doing a meditation, meditation. before yeah. you're before yeah. actually starting. Yeah. Do you practice and meditation? Practice, yes. Yeah, we did that and I continue to do that these days as well. So if I do get nervous, I'll do a breathing session. It's good fun. Yeah, yeah. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah. I think also being in Bali, yeah. you want to be on that health kick of meditating and doing yoga and really taking care of your body being in in sync with nature but throughout your experience as an athlete and now transitioning into the world of coaching what were some lessons that you learned that you have now taken into your coaching philosophy and how are you giving back your own experience to the clients that you work with the experience that i had as a player you can't learn that at a lecture really or from a book you know, I, I was lucky enough to, to experience that firsthand, um, being in those moments. And that's something that I can, I can give back to the kids and, and professionals that I, that I do coach, that at least I know that kind of feeling or what they're going through, I had and I can sort of explain to them maybe a little uh, easier for them to, to understand that moment. So I think that's important because like there's a lot of coaches out there that haven't played professional and... They might read this out of a book, but they they haven't got that feeling. 
Mm-hmm. So this is actually, a, a, I had this discussion the other day with um, a, another coach. A lot of people say that ex-professional players are not good coaches. And I agree to a certain extent, but also people that haven't played are good coaches. And, and I agree as well. So it's just a fine line. But with that, with what I just said before, they don't have that experience that they could give back to um, the juniors, the top juniors that are trying to uh, become world stars or professional tennis players. They, they, they've been in that, that moment. They can relate and, and yeah, explain. I can imagine it also strengthens the trust between the player and the coach as well. I remember when I was rowing in high school, one of my coaches rowed at Michigan and Michigan has like an incredible rowing team. I just had to trust what the coaches were assigning for the workout for the day because I knew they were drawing from their own experience. So I knew that no matter how painful it would be or how challenging it would be like there was always a purpose or a reason behind it rather than them just like shoving workouts at us for us to do yeah and you trust it because you know they're ex-rollers and and go okay yeah exactly you trust them and it's like okay they've gone through it they've been through it and this is what you need to do and And also coaching juniors kids who are in their teens or early 20s maybe that's a very transformative time because a lot happens in your adolescence yeah so not only are you acting as a coach but also kind of like a therapist in a way to these players because you're with them all the time can you talk a little bit more about what the routine now looks like as a coach rather than when you were playing and you know how much interaction you have with these players yeah so with the teenagers and all that kind of stuff you have to manage them more so as an example i was traveling with uh, one of my clients from from melbourne Dwayne duncan and he was 17 at the time and he was his first trip so i was booking flights hotels telling him to hydrate to eat this so i was looking after his diet coaching on top of all this coaching him watching his matches then replaying his matches and then pointing out the you know the goods and the bads and of that match getting him over to my uh or sitting him down and and going over the match it's completely different because when you're a player it's it's much easier being a player you don't have to think about that all you have to think about is just playing and hitting tennis balls you just do it yeah (laughs) that's it um also tactics that's another thing you know against the opposition that's, that's really important. So you're scouting. The coach has to scout. Sometimes I like to bring the player with me just to, to, to watch a bit. Um, like scouting for people to play against? Yes. They're, they're their next opposition. So just to watch them play, how they play. Okay, we're going to try this. Maybe his forehand is weaker than his backhand or vice versa. He might have a big serve. What is What does he do on big points? Does he serve down the tee? Or does he serve wide on big points? So all this. And so you're looking at that um, yeah, to yeah, then yeah, challenge course. your client yeah. to get better in a particular like in, technique or area. Technique or area. So when he plays against this opposition, we've already done our homework on the player. So, you know, not all, not all the time it's going to go the right way and how you want it to go. For instance, like on big points, he might go serve T, but the guy might just change and go wide on big points and and this is where there's a bit of conflict with the player and the coach sometimes like the player would look at the coach and go you know 
he went wide instead of T on the big points. What can you do? You just have to go, <laughs> bad luck, you know, <laughs> just move on. And that's the beauty about tennis because you just move on. Mm-hmm. You, you can't dwell too much on one point. You've got to be in the present. Because you're constantly moving. It's, things are moving. constantly changing. Literally, the ball is coming at you one direction, yeah. you hit it, and then it comes at you yeah. another direction. It's a tough sport. It's probably, yeah. I would say, it's one of the toughest sports out there. Because like what you said, it's, it's, it, you're moving, you know, you're chasing a ball. You have to stop, pause, hit the ball back, and you're constantly moving up, down, side to side, wherever, you know, <laughs> like, and, and trying to... Yeah, and there's only one bounce. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I did <laughs> I did a tennis coach or a tennis camp once when I was like 12. <laughs> okay. And it was so challenging for me. Yeah. That was the moment I realized I do not have hand-eye coordination <laughs> and tennis was not the sport yeah. for me. But I liked your point earlier about it being a very individual sport mm. because there is something really calming about that and also really meditative in a way because you're the only one that's controlling the outcome of your actions you can speak more to this like that experience of just being in your body like having that intuition and knowing how to use your body to play the game yeah so you know like i said you do your homework before with a coach uh, before you're stepping out and going out to play this match but once you're in the ring we call it the ring the bull ring you're all alone the coach and your supporters can only support you. That's it. I mean, it's not, um, you can't coach the player because you'll get fined. That's one of the rules. During the During the, the game, match. yeah. So if you do, like the umpire catches you or the coach talking and maybe giving some advice, I mean, that's coaching. So you'll either get a, um, a warning or you get fined. So you can't, you can't do that. That's just one of the rules. Uh, in men's tennis anyway, whereas the um, WTA... On the female side, things they were experimenting with uh, the coach coming on court, so the so the player could actually call the coach out there once a set. Um, so they were experimenting experimenting with that. So that's not happening at the moment. Yeah, I'm sure it's just good to have like the moral support there, not yeah. even needing the coach to be yeah. directly by your side, yeah. but there's just knowing that the person's there yeah. and family and friends coming yeah. to watch. I'm sure it can like yeah. can help. Yeah, look, crowds do help. Uh, they've helped when I was playing. They, they've helped me, and that's why a lot of the players, you know, during these uh, these times like COVID, there's no there's no crowds, so that's why it doesn't for the players. Well, Wimbledon a buzz. Yeah, did Wimbledon, Wimbledon? It had a crowd, they had right? Full capacity, right? And the players loved it, and it, and it was a big buzz for them, you know. Whereas a lot of the tournaments before that, uh, no. But the U.S. Open coming up uh, coming up soon. That's got full crowds as well. I can imagine how exciting the U.S. Open, yeah. like the players may be feeling yeah. to, to know that there's going to be spectators and people yeah. will be able to watch. Yeah, exactly. It is. It just, um, it's inspiration mm-hmm. as well. You use the crowd to, to fire yourself up mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just energize yourself really. Absolutely. Yeah. You've had this, obviously, a very strong passion for the sport because you've stuck with it for so long. Mm-hmm. But how have you been able to maintain keeping your your mental health in check as an athlete, then also with the added stress now of coaching. And for example, with the player you were mentioning, you had to book his flights, take care of his diet, everything. But also, isn't this the same player where you got COVID or he got COVID yeah. and then you, 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 you couldn't end up playing at the specific match or, or tournament you were going to? Yeah. So because I, it, it, it comes easy for me because that's, 
no one did it for me so when I was traveling so I did everything alone along the road I did have some help occasionally but once I left Australia I was I was gone for at least eight yeah coming from Australia it doesn't help uh, so once you leave you're you're abroad for about eight to ten months so I was lucky enough I, I was living in Europe but that was I had a base over there so that was easy so I was managing myself with all my flights and tournaments and practice sessions just everything my my hotel booking so for me to do it for someone else like I know what needs to be done and how so it was easy it was that transition was easy to for, for me to do basically you're making the player happy and I want the player just to think about tennis that's it remove yeah. any external stress yeah yeah exactly so to keep me grounded you know I'd, I'd still keep my routines of going try to keep fit myself that was my outlet just to blow out some steam maybe yeah just to have a have a clear mind all the time and and just thinking of ways not to be stuck in quarantine so that was another one that was like i was always checking i was on the websites like where can we go with no quarantine we did a good job anyway we didn't we didn't have to quarantine wherever we went but, um, you were able to just go out and yeah, play and go be out fine. And play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you know we were in Turkey. Unfortunately, I got COVID there, and um, and then the boy when he arrived in Jakarta because that was the plan to come to Jakarta uh, to play the two junior events. He ended up testing positive. So, but in, in Indonesia was self quarantine. I was in Turkey was self quarantine. So we managed to yeah. To get over to that. reconnect and, and reconnect. <laughs> be so, COVID free at yeah, that point. Yeah, COVID free. And, but then two days um, prior to the commencement of the tournament in Jakarta, they cancelled the tournaments. So then we're like, what are we doing? There's no, <laughs> no other tournaments in Asia. So I said, let's go to Bali because I know some people in Bali. Uh, let's do pre-season there and, uh, and I'm still here. <laughs> and I've been here since Christmas Day. Christmas Day and probably will be here for the foreseeable future with the continuation most likely of the lockdown. (laughs) I I can see myself uh, still being here. Yeah I mean this past year and a half has been so stressful and I Mm. COVID has impacted people in so many different ways for example with your story you're adding on you know your work to this as a coach and also the player wanting to compete, wanting to play matches, and then all of that being canceled, that mm-hmm. must be so disappointing and so stressful. Like, how do you, how did you raise his morale? I'm sure he must have been yeah, look, really bummed. Yeah, he was bummed. down. He was yeah. bummed um, because you're training, and you, you're training hard, but at the end of the, the road, you're sort of, or the tunnel, you're seeing, it's like, why, why are we training? There's no tournament. There's nothing to, to play yeah, for. The, the goal is now the, the, yeah, demolished, that, right, kind yeah. of. So we did a pre-season. It was supposed to be like uh, six weeks over here in Bali. We extended that to 10. And then after that, there were moments where, you know, his morale was just going down. I was like, okay, I have to speak to his mum, you know, about this. We have to leave and and reschedule and and either go back to Australia or go back to Europe and, and be competitive because there were tournaments in Europe they were holding tournaments nearly every week in in three countries especially so it was Turkey Egypt and uh, Tunisia but we we ended up going to Tunisia but he went alone we were actually going to go to India so we got our visas for we're going to go there for uh, one month this is before 
COVID hit <laughs> India. Oh like my God. Badly. I know. That was like the first scare or just yeah. like, or not the first scare. Cause obviously when COVID had started, it was horrible in Italy and Spain. But what yeah. I'm thinking of is like, as of recent, like recent. India was yes. the first and now it's Indonesia. That's, now it's Indonesia. Yeah. Exactly. So before that happened to India, we were going there for one month and then his mum, I guess, had a few chats with Dwayne and, and sort of convinced him not to go. So we didn't go. That's another thing. Not yeah. only are you managing the player, but you're managing his or her environment, yeah, like the, the family, parents, the family. I, I, siblings. Yeah, exactly. So I was his parent, really. You know, I, yeah, exactly. I had to look after him, but he turned 18. On, on the trip. Now so, he, so now he's an adult. Exactly. <laughs> he can manage himself. It must have been no. a great celebration yeah, to be cel- finally 18. Yeah, it was a good celebration. And, you know, I'm still in contact with him. So I'm still mentoring uh, him. So he's he's back in Melbourne. In, in coaches and mentorship, a lot of the times, these things that are asked of, the, of you are not easy. No. And you just have to trust, I guess, like that your mentor or your coach has your best interest, but it can be really, really challenging. It's challenging. It's demanding. You know, you're not only just a tennis coach, you're an agent (laughs) looking after the player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with that being said, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've taken away from the sport as a player, but also now as a coach? Just um, being grounded and just knowing what to do, just having that experience. I guess it's kind of indescribable. Yeah, it's indescribable, I would say. Like, I like being on time all the time. Like, you know, that for me is important. Punctuality. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And you need to be that, whatever you do. You and know, showing like, up. And, and showing up yeah. on time. You can't be late. You can't be late, you know, if you're doing something, you know, a different job. You can't. Your boss is going to go nuts eventually. You know, you got to be there punctual on time. Mm-hmm. And with, with the kids that I coach, some of them are not. I was like, hey. You know, you're 10 minutes late. What's going on? Do you make them do extra yeah, laps or something? I do. Yeah, yeah, Punishment. Punishment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. It's like conditioning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, don't do this. Or put your phone away like that. Oh, mm. I hate, you know, when you're sitting down, they're on their phone or no. It's a huge distraction. It's a distraction. I so, remember um, like if we came into practice late or if we weren't down at the dock right when we needed to launch the boat yeah we'd have to do extra burpees or exactly or we'd have to oh my god it was a pain <laughs> or if we didn't put the if we if we bumped the boat like coming out going onto the dock if we were like taking it out of the boathouse and you accidentally bumped the rigger or something we'd yep. get in so much trouble so because much you trouble. can't damage the boat but mm. sometimes it's crowded in there so yeah. yeah i think that's a tactic that many coaches use like yeah. getting the disciplining <laughs> discipline yeah i think that's really important um, from a young age, mm-hmm. you Can can't, I... you know, you know, you can't be lazy. If you really want to do it, you know, give it a hundred percent, a hundred ten percent. Yeah. I mean, also starting this sport at such a young age, three years old, mm. your first exposure, you definitely, you have, you've had the time and the experience to really build your resilience toolkit and mm. learn how to be more disciplined. And I'm sure it's carried through your your entire life and everything that you do like um, my partner Anna I mean like I'm an early bird (laughs) like but you know she just she finds it incredible how I can just like my body clock is wakes up at 5 5 30 yeah what does the schedule look like now that you're not you know competing anymore I still wake up early yeah I still wake up early it's like it's it's embedded in my my body so you know, going to school, 
I would practice at 6 a.m. before school would start. So, and it'd take me an hour to get to school. So I'd be up, my alarm would be, say, five, you know, five o'clock. Sometimes I, would, I was lucky enough for, that my dad drove me to the train station. You know, I made my way. I never got driven to school. It was public transport, which I loved anyway. So get to school, I'd train for an hour, you know, shower, and then, and then uh, go for my classes. But, um, and then after school again, training. But from a young age, I'm still waking up early. I usually go to the gym. Now, they're <laughs> now they're closed. Can't do the sauna. Can't do yeah, the ice bath. Yeah, can't do all that. I so hopefully, not so for hope, too long. Yeah. I hope. So I, I'm actually I started running around the block. So I'd go for like a ten minute jog, uh, and then come back. But that would, yeah, for me it was it it still is. It's enjoyable, but it's a nice way to start the day. Uh, it's not hot, so no, not I, in the early morning. Yeah, it's not okay. In the early morning, so. Um, and then I'd come back and I'd do some other things like I might be doing core or, you know, lower body or upper body and stuff like that. But um, and some stretching. So important. Yeah, it's and it's important. good to just stay active. Like not yeah. with the gyms being closed, we can still get in some sort of physical activity and some exactly. movement, whether it be walking or a light jog or just something to get something. yourself moving in the yeah. morning. And it's also a good way to teach the kids as well from a young age, even though if it's raining. Hey, you're not going home. We're going to do footwork or like indoors. You can always do something. Mm-hmm. So I like I like teaching that sort of things as well to the kids, yeah. not and to just go home and be lazy or right. get on get on your phone and or a computer and play a computer game. So <laughs> no, um, you're going to yeah. do something instead. You're going to exactly. make it work. And yeah. I think it's great that you still take care of yourself because mm. you have to be a role model yeah. to your clients how else are they going to trust you if you're not practicing what you preach yeah exactly 100 percent. you know not only for them but i i I do it for myself and my 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 health my mental health and uh just to i mean i'm not getting any younger so (laughs) and i have to spend time on court you know hopefully in a few years or whenever maybe i'll I'll cut back on that but at the at the moment i feel good on the tennis court and while i can i i can still compete against them and and um yeah and i i still enjoy it I mean, you still got your game because recently you won a match against (laughs) the top tennis player in Bali, who's only Uh, 18 18 years old, old, the best um, uh, player in Bali at the at the moment. So it. So look at that. Clearly, you're doing something right. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, a bit of fun. Look, it's uh, he challenged me and, and I'm I'm happy. You know, and now I think on Friday I've got another challenge against the 16-year-old uh, Putu Agassi from Bali. And he, after I played Scar two days later, he um, sent out a challenge. So that's this Friday. And um, so, that look, I, I train with them uh, twice a week. It was a little bit more than that before, but uh, I cut it back to twice a week. But, you know, you're, you're still keeping up the routine. Yeah. You still got it. Yeah, still... still I still enjoy it. I still like getting out on tennis court and hitting tennis balls. Like, um, well, that's amazing because I I feel like once you're so dedicated to something, it might be easy to lose that spark or that mm. love for what you're doing. Yeah. So it's really incredible that you've been able to maintain that. It has its moments. Don't get me wrong. You know, it has its moments. Sometimes I just I don't feel like going. Like, I'm being honest. I don't feel like going on the tennis court. And again, going back, I listen to my body. And I won't go for a day or two just to sort of refresh, re-energize and then, uh, 
and then feel good. Like like today, I felt good on the tennis court. Yesterday, I didn't. So today was better. Tomorrow, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna have a day day off. I might get a massage and then play putto on Friday. So um, sounds like a good plan. Yeah, a bit of a good plan. <laughs> yeah, you can Listening, do it here in Bali. <laughs> exactly. We have the luxury of being able yeah. to go and get a massage, and it's so inexpensive. Yeah, so yeah. and it's good to get massaged often because it like it really it just gets through the kinks or whatever in your muscles yeah. and i like to do it once a week i can't even remember the last time i did get a massage but um usually if i'm playing and and, and working in on, on the tennis court it's once a week that i sort of get a massage yeah uh, it, it's a nice way to relax and nice way to end the week exactly yeah, i know so. it's very calming and yeah. also when you're putting your body through so much physical stress it, it feels so nice. Like it's necessary yeah. to, to have that, to just kind of cool down one day. Yeah, cool down and um, and just look after your body and, and, and your muscles. They mm-hmm. need it. I think, you know, that's that's a main takeaway is just mm-hmm. having that bodily awareness and mm-hmm. that intuition and learning how to trust that and listen to it will help you really in any aspect of your life. You don't necessarily have to be a professional athlete no. to, to cultivate those skills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Well, you've had such an incredible career and it's such a, honor to get to sit down and talk to you and and have you on the podcast thank you one of the questions that i ask every single guest that comes on to the podcast (laughs) is what is something that brings you endorphins competing just for me that's a thrill it doesn't matter what kind of tournament or it could be anything it doesn't have to be a tennis uh, tournament it could be a challenge uh, any any sort of challenge actually that's good because yeah. life is just it's tons of challenges. Tons of challenges, exactly. So, so life, life brings you endorphins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's one so other way of saying a, it. Another way, yeah, exactly. I didn't actually think about that, but um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Stella. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really cool answer. I yeah. haven't heard that before. Yeah. That's yeah. good because we usually, we tend to like, try to retract from challenges like we don't want to engage in the yeah. the difficulties that are presented to us but to see it as more of an opportunity yeah maybe is what i guess it's maybe it's because of my background uh in sports mm-hmm. you know you always have to find uh, there's a lot of roadblocks there's a lot of speed humps you get knocked down but you have to you know bring yourself back up and move on go forward you know like sort of tunnel vision doesn't mm-hmm. matter you got to have the straight one path don't don't veer off you know sort of thing and i guess maybe that's it's from that you know i was knocked down so many times but just continued i didn't really it it didn't bother me sometimes it did towards the end yes it actually did it got to me as i got older um i was frustrated but um but when i was younger you know I didn't, who cares who, <laughs> I didn't care like I just moved, just kept on going not taking things Persisted. too seriously yeah, and just keep yeah. your eye on that yeah, yeah. the the goal in sight the vision the in goal. sight yeah, yeah exactly well and move on <laughs> I think that's a great lesson mm. and something that we can all practice because <laughs> yeah. it's hard to remind ourselves of these things but with that note I wanted to thank you again it's been wonderful having you as a guest Thank you, Stella. Thanks for the invite and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. See you on the court. (laughs) Probably not, but I'll be there in spirit. In spirit, exactly. (laughs) Thank you for listening and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. 
Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.